Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of issues, trends, and developments in future fuels and vehicles. I'm your host, Tammy Klein, Principal Consultant with Future Fuel Strategies, and today I'm really pleased to have on the program Kowoyan Tsilev, who is the EU Affairs Manager for NGBA Europe. And we're going to talk about NGBA's G-Mobility platform. Kowoyan, welcome to the program. Hi, Tammy. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. First of all, let's get right into it. Can you talk about G-Mobility, what this platform is about, how it came about, kind of what inspired the program, and what are the goals? Sure. So G-Mobility is basically this new platform that uh, we here at NGVA Europe have started in April, in middle of April. So it's fairly new for the moment, but it's something that we felt was missing at the moment from what's going on here on the European level. Because, uh, of course, there is uh, NGVA Europe, which is sort of like the mother organization. And uh, what we are trying to do at NGVA Europe, of course, is liaise with, between the industry and the European institutions and other stakeholders to kind of have a dialogue on what sustainable mobility should look like, of course, considering gas, because gas in transport is what we represent. But we kind of uh, were thinking about the fact that not many people, regular people, laymen, if you wish, knew about gas in transport. Most people certainly care about sustainable mobility. A lot of people know what e-mobility is, electromobility, but not many people know about any of the other alternative fuels that are out there, what are the benefits and what is going on basically in that industry. So we thought about how can we bring to the forefront these uh, benefits and information to people who can really benefit from that information and get some sort of value and presented in an informative, entertaining way, if I dare say so. That's pretty much what inspired us to start this platform. And that's what it is for the moment. It's only an online platform that we are producing bi-monthly articles. So every two weeks, there is a new article. And uh, we plan to expand it, have a podcast just as you're doing, and a few other projects coming as well. So I know that you just launched in April. But how have consumers, policymakers in the EU institutions and, and NGOs, how have they reacted to the G-Mobility platform so far? Yeah, indeed, we, we did launch uh, fairly recently. But I have to say that the, the G-Mobility as a concept, and actually it's something that we've trademarked as a name, we've been using it for more or less a year prior to that, just in our regular communications as NGVA Europe. So we've been talking about G-Mobility as a concept before it became a platform. And um, there is, of course, people, of course, understand now much better what G-Mobility is versus what what is bio-CNG, what is CNG, what is LNG, and all these different terminologies that, of course, G-Mobility kind of brings together under one roof. So it's just helping it to be more clear. With that said, policymakers, NGOs, and the other people, everyone that we've worked with before, yeah, that, of course, uh, provided a little bit more clarity, but uh, they knew from it, right? So from our side, it was also very interesting to explore how can we reach out people who don't know about the platform. And I think that 
we are getting a little bit of traction on social media, trying to, to spread the message there that basically people who are interested in, in these three main pillars, let's say affordability, practicability, and how can you achieve carbon neutral mobility, they can come and find out. And that's what they come on our website so they can read about what gas in transport is. Here's a, a question that I've been wondering about because I see, you know, obviously I follow the the developments in Europe. I write about it as mm -hmm. a total outsider. I'm American. <laughs> I'm not in Europe, yeah. but I'm covering these developments around the world. And there is really a a lot of focus, I would say, from the the Commission, you know, and from other NGOs like Transport Environment on electrification. So do you think that the policymakers and advocates like Transport Environment, are they too focused on electrification as a solution or, or even maybe like a, a singular solution in transport? Yeah, I think you're very right. I mean, there's certainly something that is uh, kind of um, more of a focus on one specific technology on, or rather really looking into it as kind of the silver bullet when it's really difficult to, to outline one single technology to be the ultimate savior of our transport needs and decarbonization needs. So why this is, is actually because here in Europe, our legislation is kind of guided by this approach that we call tank to wheel. What, what the tank to wheel is, probably a lot of your listeners will know very well, but just to explain it one more time, it's focusing on what the vehicle burns. Here in Europe, we are really focused only on this part and we forget about where actually the fuel comes from in the first place. So just to give an example to put things into a better context, if you have a natural gas vehicle bus that is running on gas, whether this bus is running on 100% renewable gas or it's running on 100% fossil non-renewable gas, it doesn't matter from the point of view of legislation when it comes to the CO2 emissions from uh, for the vehicle. So this bus compared with another, this renewable gas bus compared with the fossil gas bus, they're treated the same way. And this is really a problem because we are not focused. We say that we want to be focused on decarbonization, but we are actually focused on how do we improve the vehicles. And why is that electricity is um, getting so much traction? Of course, is because electrical vehicles, they don't have combustion engines, so they don't burn emissions by default. But that's not to say that they're carbon neutral emissions. You have to look, of course, into where does the electricity come from? What was the primary energy that was transformed into electricity that then went into the battery of the vehicle? And once you start to, to explore this, you kind of have a better idea of, then you can compare the different vehicles and get a better idea of which one is better suited to be called carbon neutral or towards uh, the road on carbon neutral. And what we were advocating here at NGVA Europe, of course, was that there was no one silver solution. Every technology has benefits as much as every technology has certain kind of downfalls. And there is no perfect solution. If there was a perfect solution, we should have been, of course, going for it. But given that we are not only using renewable energy in our electricity mix, it's a bit unfair to call battery electric vehicles or other electromobility carbon neutral. So what we were advocating for was 
technology neutral approach, meaning that you shouldn't judge which vehicle is better based on the vehicle, but you should be thinking about the different technologies and the benefits that different technologies offer so that um, you get to the final goal, which is decarbonization. That's a very important thing. It is interesting because for clients, I have been doing this series of reports looking at every fuel option, even the ones that are basically <laughs> still in the laboratory. And um, it's the, the future of diesel series. And, you know, I mean, that's basically, you know, what I'm finding. There's no fuel out there that really ticks off all the boxes. So I'm nearly finished. There's a few few fuels left that I need to to write reports on, which I will do over the next couple of months. But that's basically one of the big themes is there really are no silver bullets. Even if you look at synthetic fuels or electrofuels, there's always something that's kind of missing. I mean, either the capital costs are too high, the feedstock, we aren't certain there will be enough uh, sustainable uh, feedstocks to be able to produce the fuel. There's questions about whether there'll be enough renewable energy to have really have green electricity in a way that could potentially make electrification go. I mean, there's really no silver bullet out there. And that's just for passenger transport. It gets even more complicated when we look at things like heavy duty trucking, shipping emissions or ship, you know, yes. shipping or aviation. It's even more difficult question. So it's it really isn't easy. So I think it seems like the research is suggesting that really it's going to be end up being a little bit of this and a little bit of that for Europe anyway to be able to meet its Paris Agreement and its climate targets. It wants to go net net zero, and it, it's that's going to be a tremendously it's a tremendous undertaking. Europe wants to be the leader, and actually <laughs> right now it kind of is. Europe is the, is the leader, I think, when it comes to decarbonizing transport and really getting serious about reducing greenhouse gas emissions and really trying to align the EU with its Paris Agreement targets. But it's not going to be one solution that's going to get us there. And that's basically you know, what I'm finding, just like you're saying. What I'm actually afraid of is that we are going to reach our decarbonization targets, but just on paper. We are not mm -hmm. going to reach them in practice because we are ticking the boxes when it comes to compliancy. Oh, yes, these new vehicles, yeah, they're not burning anything. Fantastic. Let's tick the box here and call it a day. But in reality, once you actually measure what's happening on the environmental level and you see mm -hmm. that your emissions are kind of not really changing all that much, you get to start to think about why is it that we're not reaching our decarbonization goal. So our decarbonization goal is not about having one specific technology. It's about decarbonizing transport. And that doesn't mean focusing on the cars. It means focusing on the whole system that um, what we call a well-to-wheel -well, from, from the production of the fuel all the way to it being used in the vehicle or even better, a cradle-to-grave approach, meaning how the vehicle is manufactured and the fuel and the vehicle and then how the vehicle is being recycled or the end of the life of the vehicle. Because once you have to start thinking about this more holistic approach and you put different 
categories of vehicles to compare against each other, and you take, let's say, a battery electric vehicle, the battery suddenly starts to be a contributor towards the emissions because you have to produce it. Certainly, there are certain materials that have to go into it. Where these materials come from, it's also another question. But then how do you also recycle these materials? Because that's an energy-intensive process. And it's not very simple. It's not very simple. So it looks great on the scope from the tank-to-wheel point of view. But once you have to look into the holistic approach, things start to really be a little bit more different. And that's where I'm sure we're going to talk about that in the next few questions that you have for me. But when renewable fuels start to, to have a really strong influence. So I'm wondering, just since you're talking about, you know, cradle to grave versus tank to wheel, do you think that Europe will move more into assessing based on cradle to grave in the future or no, not really? Because the the reason I'm asking is I see that a lot too in my work. So looking at different types of fuel programs where you know, like life cycle analysis is, is, is used. It's like, yes, you know, we meet, mm-hmm. our, we meet our targets. And I often think, you know, and fuel efficiency, I think is another, is another good example where you, you know, sure, yes, you met the, I mean, and Europe is actually a good example of that. It's like, sure, yes, you met the fuel efficiency requirements, you know, on the dynamometer, but then you go out into the real world and it's a totally different story. So I wonder yeah. if, you know, like the two themes, we're moving into a, to a time where everything is real world measurement, which I think is a, a good thing. So we can't tell ourselves that, oh, we'll just move the coconuts around. You know, they mm-hmm. had this this uh, coconut game when I was a child. You know, you keep moving the coconuts and you try to guess, you know, where the ball <laughs> the ball is, you know. And, uh, and sometimes I think fuel regulations are a little bit like that. It's like they don't really, you know, they look good on paper you meet them in a laboratory or you meet them in a life cycle analysis or a model, but in the real world, it's totally different. And you don't really affect the consumer behavior, which is something that I'm learning, uh, sort of tuned into more and more and more. So I'm wondering, do you think the commission will move that way or will they just sort of stay in that tank to wheel world? There is a lot of pressure, of course, for the commission to start thinking about in this direction. They have uh, launched their own study just end of last year, if I'm correct, looking mm-hmm. into life cycle emissions, the, the part from DG Clima. So they're looking into that, but it's going to take tremendous amount of work and effort to get to that point where you can say, now we have a very strong database whereby we can compare all the different vehicles and then evaluate. That's on one side. But on another side, looking into generally where things are going, technology, big data, I really think the question is of when. When is this going to happen? It's just a matter of time because it's kind of like unacceptable to not be able to have the full picture. Again, mentioning that there are companies that work with very serious data, very reliably now to to evaluate a range of, of things. And this is something that is really, really important. So in my opinion, it's just a question not of if, but when. When are they going to move it? When are people going to start to be more conscious about that? Because it's uh, in the end, it's the right approach. And yeah, doing the right thing is, is the right thing here. I think that's another trend in, in environmental regulation. 
I would say in general, which is regulations may focus on electric vehicles, you know, yes, great for air pollution or air pollutants, but there may be other areas. There may be, you know, you mentioned the recycling of the battery, which, you know, maybe touches other environmental areas. Some fuels bring up, you know, water usage issues, you know, (laughs) all kinds of other things that sort of come up that, you know, maybe 20, 25 years ago, maybe we didn't really think about that so much. We just focused on air pollution and maybe greenhouse gas reduction. But now, you know, I think the key word that you mentioned is is holistic, because Mm -hmm. now I think we're going to go into a time where we're going to have to consider the whole chain or the whole sphere, you know, water, the land use, the (laughs) air pollution, the greenhouse gas emission, the end of the end of life and how, how the fuel or the vehicle or what have you are recycled or come to the end of their life. How do we handle that? And so it's a lot more complicated than it today than I think it was, at least when I started, you know, 25 years ago, you really, you know, you yeah. really weren't looking at those, those kinds of issues. So science has grown, knowledge has grown. And I guess when we know better, I guess we, we start to, to do better, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. I mean, <laughs> the, the more, the more information is out there, it exposes the truth. And um, as fun as that sounds, it's, it's just, we just need to be looking into that holistic approach and looking at every single factor that comes into play because there is no other way. It's not a simple thing. It's a fairly complex system, especially when once you start involving the whole energy production and all that kind of stuff. It's very complex stuff. And we need to be very mindful going forward of how much our demand, I think, because we, we've managed to, to, to limit some of the emissions here in Europe, but our demand for, for goods and, and logistics and all that has increased. So mm-hmm. on paper, we are reducing emissions from vehicles, but our demand for transport increases year on year. And that kind of opens this gap the more we go forward. And we are left with, we're kind of going into this deadlock almost of what do we do? Like, what is the solution? We need a solution today, not in 30 years. Because in 30 years, there might be a new, I mean, 30 years ago, there was, the iPhone wasn't invented, you know, and, and that changed the, the whole world. So I don't know what's going to happen in 30 years. Maybe there's going to be a completely different system and, and who, who's to say, but we need a solution right now that is able to support kind of transitioning to a decarbonized transport in a very robust and quick way. So to tag on that, how do you see gas evolving in transport in Europe over the next 10 to 20 years? And do you see more gas being used in the heavy duty sector rather than other sectors? Yeah, definitely. So we we did a um, a leaflet, a very simple publication from NGV Europe that is coming from kind of our industry and looking into some of the data that they are, were able to provide to us in order to do a roadmap towards 2030. And it, that's available on our website at um, ngva.eu. But what we see, of course, is a massive expansion going towards 2030 in infrastructure and in vehicles. As you said, the biggest part of that would be in the heavy-duty transport. 
because then it's more of a business decision. It's it's not so much of an emotional. When when you buy your personal car, there is certain kind of emotion involved into that. You want it to be that way and that way and to be this and that. But when it comes to business, business is looking for how do I do the job with the minimum cost for my business, but I'm still able to, to to profit from it. And gas, of course, is a very good partner into that because the cost is very small and you're getting very good performance. So businesses are gradually, what we're already seeing in Europe, starting to use more and more CNG and LNG for their heavy-duty transport. And the other argument, of course, here is that you don't have that many alternatives competing out there when it comes to heavy-duty transport. There is electricity is pretty much non-existent. I mean, Tesla is talking about a Tesla truck and all that, but speaking concretely, there are trucks already running on LNG and bio-LNG that are offering tremendous benefits, very good price from the business point of view. And uh, yeah, they're available right now. So companies are, are buying them here in Europe and, and that business is developing. So Looking towards 2030, again, according to to that roadmap that I mentioned, private cars, uh, small cars, they're going to continue to increase. So we forecast pretty much around 12.5 million vehicles in Europe to be running on CNG by 2030. So that's a pretty small number out of the market share of vehicles in Europe. But we see big expansion in buses. So we predict that towards 2030, pretty much one in three buses will be running on on gas. So we see about 110,000 buses running in Europe in 2030. Smaller trucks and uh, smaller such vehicles from the heavy-duty category running on CNG, they will also increase to about almost 200,000. But a very big expansion to uh, what we will see is, of course, on the LNG truck side. So currently in Europe, we estimate around 6,000 trucks running on LNG and mm-hmm. uh, today. And in 2030, we expect that this number will grow to about 280,000. So there will be quite a big expansion when it comes to LNG. So what does that mean? It means that we will need more infrastructure to support this. We have about, I don't know how many stations exactly we have at the moment. At the time of the publication, we I see the number here that we wrote 3,300. I think there are more now, CNG. And LNG stations, I know that the number is more than 200 and today. So these numbers are going to grow to about 10,000 CNG stations and 2,000 LNG stations towards 2030, just to be able to support this growth. And finally, what is that going to mean for the fuel demand? So today we have uh, very little fuel demand for gas in transport, but to support, again, this expansion coming from the heavy-duty side, certainly we will need more fuel, more, more gas. And we see that towards 2030, we'll have about 20 billion cubic meters for CNG and about 10 for for LNG. In terms of renewable gas, uh, towards 2030, we see that about 30% of it or 9 BCM going into transport will be coming from renewable sources. So it's growing. Renewable sources, of course. uh, Yeah, it's growing massively. It's growing massively. The renewable sources like biomethane coming, coming from municipal waste, coming from liquid manure. You also have synthetic gases coming from power-to-gas processes or gasification, these all would be playing a very important role for the future in terms of CO2 savings. And we see some of the countries 
are very heavily moving towards that, like Sweden, for example. They would like to have, uh, when it comes to their gas uh, in transport business, they would like to have 100% renewable gas, uh, I believe, towards 2030, if I'm correct. So just to paint a little bit of a picture, there's a lot that's happening in the industry and it's moving forward. So with respect to renewable gas in the U.S., we call it renewable natural gas. In Europe, it's Mm -hmm. called uh, bio-CNG. What are the biggest barriers to growing that market for transport right now? And how do you see the market evolving over the next 10 to 20 years? Because it's really growing, as you know, in the U.S., uh, particularly in California, to to meet low carbon fuel standard requirements and also the renewable fuel standard. But really, the low carbon fuel standard is the is the I think is the major driver. And it seems like a similar trend is is happening in Europe. So do you see that continuing? Absolutely. The part coming from the renewable production of of gas is going to have a major, major role to play. As I mentioned just a moment ago, towards 2030, we're expecting to have about 9 BCM just for the needs of transport. So that will be about 30% of the whole fuel mix of gas in transport. So you can imagine the the amount of, of, of gas that is and therefore, the, the amount of CO2 savings that this will produce is about uh, 46% compared to today. And this is great. But what are the biggest barriers to answer your question in the market? So it comes to a few things. So I wanted to mention this in the beginning, but when we think about transport and decarbonizing it, we're often concentrated on one out of three things. And I think that we need to be considering all three together. And this is pretty much the economics the technical, basically, parameters and the sustainability or environmental parameters. These three things we need to think about together when we are kind of picking which technology to go forward because each has a benefit to them, And but then you have to think about them together. So as a barrier to, to the bio-CNG market developing uh, in the future, one, one of the barriers certainly is cost because it's more costly for producers right now to produce this kind of fuel. But if there was a demand coming from on a policy level, there were certain kind of incentives or let's say from the point of view of tax or just to be able to push this fuel to give it a little bit of a better chance to be developed, then it would be more interesting from the side of producers to be able, it would be easier certainly for them to produce more. Then this leads to, of course, the policy and, and uncertainty of where are we going? Are we going all the way electricity and nothing else? Because then this doesn't send the right signal to these producers. And um, yeah, uncertainty is never good. But another thing that I was thinking about here is that it would be important to somehow connect the biogas production with waste management and also the agriculture sectors, because these are kind of different players right now, that there is a lot of opportunity in the future to to connect them, because there are a lot of synergies between them, Um, Mm -hmm. especially when we talk about the agriculture being used as fertilizer and digestate, that's very important. These are some some of the barriers right now. So we don't have a good stimulation coming from our governments and our institutions to 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 support the the biogas uh, in in the mix and that needs to change in order to to achieve that. So I wanted to ask the commission does have or yeah, European Commission does have some supportive policies 
for gas in general and mm-hmm. maybe maybe arguably for uh, renewable natural gas or, or bio CNG in particular. The two that, that come to mind for me are the Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive and the Revised Renewable Energy Directive, also known as RED2. So in that regard, you know, are there other policies that the commission and member states should be considering? Are there other policies that member states who might want to support and have more bio CNG and transport and for other uses such as power? I mean, are member states moving uh, in this area? How do you how do you see it? So you're right. There there are these policies, and I would also add the the CO2 uh, regulation as a third one. Yes that are very important because from the side of the uh, Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive, that's looking into the, the infrastructure. So it's telling member states, each of the member states, how many and which type of infrastructures they need to have looking towards the future based on their individual needs. Then we're looking into the Renewable Energy Directive that talks about the type of renewable energy that uh, we would need as, as in, in the European Union. And then you have the CO2 regulation that is kind of talking about the the vehicles and how much emissions they need to cut out in order to be compliant with the new targets. So the biggest and most important thing here, I think, is that these three should correspond to one another. They should work with one another and not be separate pieces, which is kind of what's happening in the moment. And there isn't a strong link between, let's say, the production targets that are supposed to go to the to the transport sector and what is the consumption on the other side. So the, the manufacturers of vehicles, they have absolutely no kind of link to, to that. And that's what I wanted to mention in the previous question that you had. But it all comes down to them working together. Because if you're saying, okay, you need to be producing that much gas, Yes, but then how does it work after that? After I've produced it, what happens to it? And there Uh needs to be a business case, there needs to be a sustainability case, and there needs to be a a, A a case on the technical side, right? Yeah. Yeah, So it it all needs to be one thing working together and not uh, here and there. Uh, Let's let's do that and let's do that and hope for the best. So they need to kind of reference each other and be like, yeah, according to what we said in the previous three policies, our new fourth policy needs to kind of acknowledge this and the way forward would be this and that. So any new kind of directive or regulation going forward needs to be mindful of this and and try to make things working together. Because if you said in the alternative fuels infrastructure directive that we need to have this many CNG and LNG stations going in the future, then writing a policy, I'm referencing now the CO2 uh, regulation Mm -hmm. that just came out, Recently, writing such a policy that is saying pretty much bluntly only electricity going forward, then that's not really supporting what you've already said that you needed that many stations because then why do you need so many stations? So it needs to maintain this kind of establishment and, and go forward with that. So do you think that there's recognition of that at the commission and or member state level or not really? They haven't really put that together yet. It's difficult to say. I mean, yes and no. I mean, you you meet you meet a lot of brilliant people working here, and you know that they're trying to do uh, their best to 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 get there. But sometimes we're we're just limited by 
the way that we have to compromise on different things and i i don't know really how to say it it's more of um it's more of the the effort is being put not on trying to evaluate as i mentioned in the beginning everybody under the same circumstances but really trying to narrow down because it looks on paper that one technology is doing better than the others but mm-hmm. yeah you know we are doing kind of a limited approach here and somewhere down the line in the future this is going to come back to us and we're going to understand that okay that was kind of not the best solution that we had there uh, yeah. we should have thought about the whole thing and now it's mm-hmm. uh, maybe too late hopefully not <laughs> but, yeah. well you think that that lesson actually would have been learned with if we look at the case of biofuels and how that all has evolved under the first renewable energy directive and the second renewable energy mm-hmm. directive and you know the case of of iloop because that was very much that situation has that occurred what you just described occurred but it occurred with biofuels and now we're in a situation or or Europe is in a situation where it's you know, maybe we won't see so many advanced biofuels because there will be investors, you know, some investors that won't want to go into that because of the uncertainty that was created, you know, around uh, around biofuels and ILUC and sustainability and all that the first time around. So it is an interesting dynamic. So I did want to ask you, the last question I have is about, is actually about sustainability. There's some advocates like transport and environment who have raised some issues about sustainability, particularly with respect to renewable natural gas in Europe. And so how do you counter those? Because they've raised a number of issues in that regard. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not just them. There, there are many other NGOs out there and, and different people with, with certain kind of agenda going on. What we try to do here at NGVA and, of course, with with the G-Mobility platform is trying to be as transparent as possible. And I have to say, like, also from the point of view of our industry, we are trying to produce as much factual information as we can and to share it in a transparent way so that everybody can come and take a look at what the real numbers are. We try to work with as many independent companies and independent evaluators out of out there that are able to freely critique what we have as a data. Just to give you an example, we ran a study, uh, when was it, in 17, I believe, looking into the greenhouse gas emissions uh, from natural gas in transport. And uh, we had quite quite a big industry involvement into that study. Then this study was critically evaluated by a team of independent experts. So we really try to to talk about real data and to support the European institutions with real data. So Apart from that, the rest of the stuff is really out of our control, unfortunately. And um, there is no perfect solution that I cannot say that we are offering the perfect solution because there isn't one that exists. Everything has benefits and it has pitfalls. But to say very strongly that, you know, electricity is such a, is such a way and we need to go about it and to forget about all the downfalls of it, it's a little bit um, short-sighted, um, unfortunately. All right. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Kawayan so much for being on the show today. It was a real pleasure uh, to have you. And I'd love to have you back to discuss the G-Mobility thank platform you. as time goes on. 
And if you're looking for more analysis on future fuels issues, head to my website, futurefuelstrategies.com, and sign up for my free bi-weekly newsletter. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.